All right. Three wise guys. Very good. Hey, uh, how many of you are junior church children? You usually go to children's church. Raise, raise your hand, okay? I want to I challenge you to fill out the outline today. And if, uh, if you're really, really young, maybe you need some help, that would be fine too. Does anyone need a pencil to fill out? The, and I'm going to throw something at you, to you, not at you, but to you at the end of the service if you fill out the outline. So how many of you need a pencil? All right. Garrett, would you come on this side and take some pencils, and I'll go on that side. All right. Keep your hand raised if you need a pencil. Now, if you're older and want to uh, have me throw at you, we can do that too as long as I have enough. Do you have a pencil? There we go. Oh, and you have to have a bulletin too, I guess. Do you have a bulletin? If There we go. There you go. All right. <laughs> Sorry, but I shouldn't laugh. Can you write left? Do an X with your left hand would be fine. Okay, everybody got them? All right, very good. Well, that skit was great. Appreciate that. Uh, have you got your shopping done? Okay. I hope you got me something good. All right. I remember, so kids, do the outline, and then we'll get you something at the end. All right? Uh, I remember being first, for the first time when I went overseas, probably about 20 years ago, and I wrote in my journal sometime on that trip, I love the USA. I think it was a little homesick. And I just got to think of all the blessings we had back home, not only economic, but, um, economically, but all the freedoms we take for granted. And uh, as much as I hate to admit it, part of it, part of the blessing we have is because of government. And government gets a lot of criticism these days, and rightfully so, but it does a lot of good. We take for granted we can meet today and don't have people come in and drag us off because we're worshiping. We, we can speak freely, and Casey can tell bad jokes and not get arrested for that. We have a government system, of course, with its checks and balances, things we just take for granted. And government is ordained by God, and there's a lot of good. And, of course, it's not a perfect system, and all government has fallen, and all governments fail to some extent, which raises the question... What would a perfect government look like? You tell me, what would make for a good government? Honesty. I thought that would be the first one. Yeah, that would be nice for a change. What else would make, what else makes a good government? People. People. What? You are really quiet. How about justice? How about uh, opportunity, freedom? You know, things we take for granted again, a lot of things we have. Um, let me suggest this, and this is going to sound heretical to some of you. The best form of government is not a democracy, nor is the best form of government a republic, or socialism, or communism. I'm going to suggest to you today that the best form of government is actually a monarchy, if the monarch is good. And of course, Jesus Christ is a monarch. We just sang about him, King of Heaven, come down. He is not a president. He is not elected. He does not head up a democracy. He is the sovereign king, and he's a very good king, the monarch of the universe, and that's the best system, if you have the right leader. 
When he was born, Jesus came to earth to set up a kingdom and not a democracy. And I think a lot of Christians don't get that. And they treat Jesus and Christianity like a democracy. And people's opinion is supreme. No. The will of the king is supreme. He is on the throne and not the people. And that is a good thing. Now, last week and today, I'm taking familiar texts about Christmas and looking at the background and asked what was the original context of these passages. And as I looked at these texts, and this one for today, I was struck by how much government talk surrounds the Christmas story. Just think about it sometime. The wise men came looking to find a king, a political leader. Out of Bethlehem will come a ruler. That's from Matthew 2, again, a political leader. Luke 2, the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. And usually we think about the spiritual significance of Christmas, and Jesus came to save us from our sins, and that is all true. But the original promise of a Messiah carried political significance. That's the first on your outline young people, okay, political significance. And I would propose that that has not changed today. The birth of Christ still carries political significance. Jesus came to set up a perfect kingdom that will reign forever. Now, last week we talked about another king by the name of Ahaz, king of Judah, and because of Ahaz's bad leadership and bad government, Judah was facing bad times. That was in Isaiah 7. Today, we're going to start in Isaiah 8, verse 21. Here's the results of Ahaz's leadership. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. When they are famished, they will become enraged and looking upward will curse their king and their God. Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom and they will be thrust into outer darkness. That's what happens when you have bad leadership. These are the conditions of Judah when Assyria comes in because of Ahaz's bad decision to trust political alliances rather than God, Israel enters this area of, era of gloom and darkness. Now, when I read this, it made me think of movies or TV shows that show the possible aftermath of a nuclear attack. I mean, it's just devastation, desolation, anarchy. I mean, that's the picture of what the Assyrians are going to do to God's people. But the gloom is not final, verse 1 of chapter 9. Nevertheless, there'll be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. Now, Galilee, Zebulun, Naphtali are all different names for the same region, the northern part of Israel where there was a mixture of Jews and Gentiles uh, that live. Okay, we're going to put a map up here and just show you this. We had this last week. This is the northern kingdom, and this is where, when, when we get to the time of Jesus, also Galilee. But Zebulun and Naphtali were northern tribes, two of the northern tribes, and so that's why that's mentioned. So they're all the, 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 same, the same name or the same part with different names. So this is the first part of Israel, the northern kingdom, to be stripped away by the Assyrians. And it says in the text that they were humbled. Okay, they're going to be devastated, in other words. But in the future, God will honor this region of Galilee. How's he going to do that? How's he going to honor Galilee? Let me give, give you a little quiz. What was Jesus' hometown when he was growing up? No. He was born in Bethlehem. What was the hometown? Nazareth. Guess where Nazareth is located? What province? Galilee. Okay, guess where the bulk of Jesus' ministry took place? Galilee, Zebulun, Naphtali. So the fulfillment of honoring Galilee here in Isaiah is Jesus 750 years later. He would come and honor them with his presence. Going on, verse 2. 
And this is going to sound like familiar Christmas stuff. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice in the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So when this child is born, new government, new leader, new hope, joy, and peace. Last week, one of the prophecies of Jesus was God with us, Emmanuel. This week, today, this was prophecy about Jesus as a political leader who will set up a government and lead us. And because of this new government and new leader, here's the outline next, the theme that runs throughout this text is joy. No more gloom for those in darkness. Increase their joy. Rejoicing at harvest. There will be economic prosperity. Joy... Man, I tell you, the world desperately needs joy. I need joy, and so do you. All of us need joy. Some of us have to work at joy. I'm one of them. It's just not natural for some. Some of you have this sanguine personality, and you're happy and perky, and you're always chirping around, happy, happy, happy. You know, it make me sick, you know, but... I want, how do you do that? How are you happy all the time? And I know you're not all the time, but, but some of us are a little more on the melancholic, choleric, Maybe even a Scrooge once in a while. And joy joy is more of a chore. But it is so important for all of us. Joyful Christians are better Christians. They tend to be kinder. They tend to be gentler. They tend to have a better witness. They tend to be better neighbors and better workers. A joyful Sunday school teacher is a better Sunday school teacher. A joyful elder is a better elder. And joy is one of the distinguishing marks of a Christian. And we are commanded to rejoice over and over in Scripture several times. But today I don't want to talk about the importance of joy. I want to talk about reasons to rejoice. Isaiah says you can rejoice. A light is dawning. A better day is coming. A new government is on the way. When this government comes, circumstances are going to change. And here's the first one for your outline, kids. There will be prosperity. Prosperity. The joy of abundance. Verse 3, people rejoice at the harvest when men rejoice as dividing the plunder. In other words, the harvest is going to be abundant. Instead of becoming spoiled themselves, they're going to divide the spoil. More than enough for everyone. Now, every so often, we get benevolent requests in the office, and each year we help several people. And when they call, and usually it's legit. I mean, once in a while, they're not, but usually it's legit. And when they call, I, I've never had the anxiety of not being able to pay a utility bill. And I can't imagine what that's like. And when they call, there's humiliation in their voice. They don't want to call. They're embarrassed. They're often crying. They have nowhere else to turn. It's just hard to rejoice when you're going through financial struggles. It's just hard. Now, prosperity doesn't buy happiness. And yet prosperity throughout the Bible is a blessing, and it is one factor in people's well-being. And under this new government, everyone's going to have plenty. Everyone. Second reason for joy, number two in your eye, there will be peace. Every warrior's boot in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning. Isaiah 2 gives a little more familiar passage. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. 
Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. There is no such thing as a good war. Now, we thank our veterans and we remember their sacrifice. And war is a reality in this world. And there's justification for some wars, but no war is good. We know that. I was reading about the Civil War once, talking about thousands of men who would stand toe-to-toe, slaughtering one another like flies. In one battle, 5,000 men lay dead in an area of two square miles, 20,000 more wounded. One witness said it was possible to walk on dead bodies for 100 yards without once stepping on the ground. Many of the wounded remained where they fell among the dead men and horses for 12 to 14 hours with their groans and cries echoing through the countryside. After each battle, it was common for a huge mound of severed arms and legs to be piled up outside the surgeon's tent. That's the kind of world we live in. That's the darkness. That's the gloom. War's not good. It's not glorious. But with the new government, Prince of Peace. No more. There'll be peace in relationships. There'll be peace in Chicago. No more gangs and violence. No more rape. No more bullying at school. No more hate. Prince of Peace. Government of Peace. Wow. Reason to rejoice. Third, we can rejoice. This will get some of you because it'll be big government. Talks about the increase of his government and enlarging the nation. Now, in America, we tend to be afraid of government, and at least it used to be that way, and I tend to be one of those. I don't trust big government. However, we would all like big government if it were good government and government we could trust without corruption. A government that allows people to better themselves and yet helps those who need it. The past couple of decades, um, I think this started under Bush, there was a growing interest in faith-based organizations by the government because government started realizing that Christian and Jewish and other religious social programs actually do better than just government programs. There's more uh, compassion, less corruption, and they're more efficient. And research demonstrates that religion actually goes hand-in-hand with good citizenship. So government is, was recognizing, I don't know if it's still the case, not, was recognizing that faith is good for society uh, by the way, do you know what the best predictor of which young inner-city males are likely to escape gangs, drugs, and prison? The, the number one predictor of them escaping church attendance. Still a pretty good indicator of faith. Moral and spiritual transformation are going to be part of this new government. The separation of church and state we have today is uh, a disaster, Removal of God from public society has been removal of good influence. So this new government, this new king, will come and bring these two together, spiritual and political. And Jesus comes not just to save our souls from sin, but to give us good government and good leadership. Number four, fourth reason to rejoice. It will have good leadership. This child will be called Wonderful Counselor. In other words, you have wisdom and not make bad decisions like Ahaz did. Mighty God carries a word of the idea of a hero like a superman, the power to save us from corruption and evil. Everlasting father, not a temporary ruler. Everlasting, not like today. You know, the old saying that politicians and diapers have one thing in common. They should both be changed regularly. And for the same reason. Not this politician. We don't want to change if this leader is this wonderful counselor, our hero, this prince of peace, our savior. So in place of the unfaithful monarch Ahaz, whose short-sighted policies will plunge the nation into ruin, there is lifted up this ideal monarch who, even though he's still a child, will someday bring an end to all wars and establish an eternal kingdom of justice and righteousness. Now these names for this child were not normal names for kings even back then. 
I mean, they did not name their kings wonderful counselor and mighty God, things like that. And I got to thinking, they really do not describe our leaders today either. I mean, Donald Trump, Barack Obama, George Bush, Bill Clinton, Ronald Reagan, wonderful counselor, prince of peace, everlasting, just doesn't fit. But I still think a lot of Christians put more faith in politics than they do in the kingdom of God. I don't know if it's a lot, but some do. After Donald Trump was elected, many Christians were rejoicing. He's doing what needs to be done. Almost sounded like a savior. And I remember listening to the radio after Bush was elected. I think it was the first Bush. This radio preacher said, God has answered our prayer and he's going to end partial birth abortion and end scandals and lies at the White House and we're going to have honest people in the White House now. And this almost sounds silly now. When Barack Obama was change and hope and change is that what it was hope and change things are going to get better reporters said there was unprecedented excitement at his inauguration i remember when bill clinton was elected newsweek pictured him on a white stallion storming into washington to save the day bill clinton to the rescue it's almost funny it's almost funny to look at it now i don't want to say stop it stop it None of these guys is wonderful counselor, everlasting father, prince of peace. Stop putting your faith. I know none of we, we would, but sometimes it just almost sounds like it. And then the last verse of the text says, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. The perfect government will not be created by human wisdom. The word zeal means consuming desire for someone else's best interest. In other words, this is not a selfish leader. He will have a zeal for his people. So number five, it will be a leader who is zealous for us. A true servant of the people. Someone once said, true leadership must be for the benefit of the followers, not the enrichment of the leader. That's Jesus Christ. That's why we can celebrate this year. Now, when will we see government, this new government? When is it going to happen? Now. It's already here. That's the good news. When Jesus began his ministry in Galilee, his first words, the kingdom of God is here. And he said, today, this scripture is fulfilled. The new government has arrived. Jesus is the king, and we are the subjects. Today, by the way, for your outline kids, one reason we rejoice at Christmas time, a new government has already been inaugurated. It's not yet complete. He's still building his kingdom, and your involvement in the church is part of building that kingdom. But the perfect leader has already come. The child is born. So there's reason for joy. But you might ask, well, where's the prosperity? I can barely pay my bills. There's not total prosperity yet, but there will be. I mean, we have a wealthy dad. And we will inherit that. And you ask, well, where's the peace? Well, it's not complete. The kingdom is advancing, and there's still war, but there is a peace that passes understanding. Last week, the question that the text raised was, who do you fear? Tell me who you fear, or what you fear, and I'll tell you what you trust, or who you trust, and what you worship. Tell me what you fear, and I'll tell you what's important to you. The question this child confronts us with this week is, who is your king, your hero? Please, I hope it's not some political party. We are called to another kingdom and a higher power. And this Christmas, make Jesus your counselor. So listen to his advice and his teaching. This season, make Jesus your hero and your savior. Because he already is. Let's pray. Father, we know because of the birth of Jesus, a new day has come, a new government established, a new circumstance.
This is a new and different kind of leader, and we thank you for sending him. And I pray we would be wise enough to listen to his counsel. And thank you for sending us the Prince of Peace, and may we cling to his peace and his ways and not ours. Thank you for sending an everlasting ruler, one who will be faithful to the end. Thank you for Christmas. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. This snowy Christmas Eve morning, you're here at worship. We worship the singing, reading the Bible, praying and learning. And now we are